every single one of us can do to elevate the state of the world by simply peeling back the layers, uncovering what matters most to you, and then doing that. Welcome to A Congruent Life, where we share inspirational stories of authenticity and happiness. A Congruent Life is an interview project sharing the stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things, discovering their passions, and living authentic, amazing lives. Here's your host, Andy Gray. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me for another episode of A Congruent Life, a podcast where we share some compelling stories that explore authenticity in many different forms. My name is Andy Gray, and I'm really grateful that you've chosen to share this time with us. This is episode number 28 of A Congruent Life, and today I'm talking with Ken Streeter. Ken has lived an interesting life as an adventure guide and entrepreneur and recently wrote a book called The Gift of Courage. We join our conversation with Ken talking about being introduced to the outdoors and to rafting. Uh, so I got into I got into rafting. I, I went to high school in Southern California and uh, was the guy that organized the backpacking trips with friends and and uh, all kinds of different outdoor adventure activities. And, and then my dad took me rafting in 1983. I was working at a sporting goods store at that time. And I loved working in the parts of the sporting goods store that were related to outdoor adventure, you know, the backpacks and the sleeping bags. And so it was just in my blood. And and then my dad took me rafting on the lower Kern River in Southern California. It was an overnight trip, and uh, I had always in, enjoyed spending time in the outdoors, but had never done anything that was quite that risky in the outdoors. You know, backpacking has its challenges, but it's not regarded as a risk sport or adventure sport. I went rafting, overnight trip with my dad and my sister, and just fell in love with it. It was a combination of being outdoors, a combination of teamwork and the raft. It was a combination of adventure because I did enjoy adventure. Uh, and the rest is really history as far as that goes. I went to guide school the following year in 1983 and started guiding on the South Fork of the American River outside of the Sierra, outside of Sacramento and the Sierra Nevada. Uh, and then it just kept climbing and climbing and climbing in terms of places I would go and challenges that I would seek and people that I would meet. And ultimately, I ended up running a rafting company that was based in California that did trips all up and down the Northwest. And uh, ran that for a couple of years as the general manager, got to see some amazing places as the general manager and a river guide at the same time, some beautiful natural country. And then uh, left that company and got hired as a as the managing uh, guide for a, a rafting and adventure travel company in Norway. Uh, before I went to Norway, I was able to travel to, Alaska, to Africa and had spent some time down there running rivers down there. So I spent several summers leading adventure travel trips and running a company in Norway that was just a cornerstone of joy in my life. We lived on a farm that had uh, a series of buildings that were all built in 15, 1600s. There was no toilets, no running water. Toilets, of course, but there was no running water. And uh, for a, a large part of that compound, so you used pit toilets. And there was a, a wood-burning sauna, and there were 10 or 12 guides that lived there and just built this community around doing what we love. We all love being river guides. And the other interesting common denominator in that was, and I didn't realize this until later, but every day 
we strapped on a life jacket. That was our that was our uh, tool of the trade: a life jacket and a helmet and a wetsuit in order to survive if we happened to go in the river. And I really felt like that was a, a team building component to it. I mean, mm. teams evolve naturally in those settings, but when you're putting a life jacket on every day and you're watching each other's back and having each other's back, each other's back, it really builds a community. And, and that's when I recognized the value of this type of, of commerce and this type of activity not only relative to the guiding community, but also to the people that came on these trips where you could build these communities over a two-day or a two-week trip and just have this joyful experience sharing meaningful mornings and meaningful afternoons where you were awestruck at the settings and you were facing, you know, facing death over states a little bit, but facing challenges and succeeding together as a crew. And, and I, I just really became struck with the whole value of community as a result of that. And, and that's carried me forward into what I'm doing today. That sounds like a pretty interesting story that you had this interest in the outdoors, this love and passion for the outdoors, and, and that translated into guiding. And then somewhere along the way, that turned into, you know, sort of an inward perspective of I love doing this to this is helpful to other people. Yeah, exactly. And, and then I just applied that love. And I literally woke up every day excited about what I was doing every single day for years. I did that where I just so much loved the community that was being built, the impact that we were having, the helping preserve wild spaces that just, it just completely resonated with me, it resonated with me on an occupational level, on a personal level. And my communities were built around that same resonance. And so I built my company uh, kind of on that model where um, we just empowered people to, to realize their dreams. Uh, the, the metaphor that I used for how to work within my company as a river guide was running a river where you have one bank on the left and another bank on the right. And each one of those is represented by safety and professionalism. One bank is safety, one is professionalism. And then the goal within my company was to empower people to run the river as they chose through the rapids and through the comms, as long as they were respecting the bank of safety and the bank of professionalism. And it allowed for this company that just took off. We went from $28,000 our first year in revenue, that was 1997, to $60,000 the next year, to $125,000, to $270,000, to $500,000 plus. We were doubling every year with revenue because what we were doing was making sense to people that, that were joining us. They felt that. They felt the love. And uh, they also the, the employees were just so enamored with their jobs because they weren't restricted. and They could live their own dreams. They could live their own authentic life as long as they stayed between those two banks. Mm. So we ended up doing trips in the Northwest. We ended up doing trips in, uh, in Baja, in Bolivia. We did the first descent of the Rio San Cristobal in Bolivia. We did trips in Norway and Iceland. We expanded into Alaska. We were just an international company uh, with up to 50, 60 employees at one point and uh, just ran great wilderness trips around the world. It seems like often when we talk to people, there's this perception that it's really hard to make passion and career line up. You know, there's the sense of, oh, well, that's great that you love being in the outdoors, but... 
I guess, how were you able to, to create a bridge between I'm passionate about the outdoors and adventure and believing that, hey, you know what, I can actually support myself and, and my employees by building a business around this? So I, I think a key to that is is recognizing that that good has to be supported um, in some way, shape, or form. And if, if it's a church and you're doing good, then it's supported with parishioners tithing. If it's if it's um, a rafting business, then you you need to recognize and, and honor the bottom line as an important element in doing good. If you if if you're doing good and you don't survive, you basically stop doing good. And so that that essence was communicated to the guides, to our office staff, to, to our shuttle drivers that, you know what, nobody's out here to make a killing. We're out here to be able to live a, a lifestyle that we love and to perpetuate what we're doing. And so it turns into a business model where you do pay attention to the bottom line just because you recognize that. You want to perpetuate the good you're doing. And that's how I bridge the, the, the passion and purpose with, with a, a, a business climate. And, you know, there were definitely times where the profit was taking a far, far backseat. And, and I sweated winter after winter getting through the winter because of cash flow problems. Uh, but in the end, uh, we managed to make it profitable and 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 it, Unfortunately, or fortunately, because of where I'm at today, I reached a point where I thought, you know, I'm just not in a position to um, support a, a full young family doing this. Part of that was financial, but part of it also was just pure logistics. If I was gone for a week or two to Alaska, if I was gone for a week or two to Norway or Iceland, if I was gone on a multi-day river trip somewhere in the Pacific Northwest, I just didn't feel like I was being there for my family. I remember one trip in particular where it really was the, the final recognition that I had that I needed to do something different. Um, and it wasn't related to money as much as it was just time away. It was, I was on a plane going to Alaska. This was in early June. My son was nine months old. My firstborn child was nine months old. And, uh, and every year prior to that, I thought, you know, I'm so excited about going to this place or that place to help set this operation up or to run this river. And I'm on a plane in the middle of the night heading to Anchorage, Alaska, and it just broke my heart that I wasn't going to be home. And that's when I knew that my priorities shifted. and I needed to divest myself of, of the international adventure travel business. And so gradually we sold pieces off, and that's when I picked up the commercial real estate opportunities courtesy of my office manager at the time, letting me know that as I was buying these different real estate locations around the, the Northwest primarily in order to facilitate our operations, that I was really becoming taken with the whole investment real estate business. And she said, at some point you're going to become a broker. And I said, no, I'm never going to become a broker. And she said, no, I've, I've worked with you for eight or nine years. You're going to be a broker, I can tell. And lo and behold, I became a broker. And so I left the adventure travel business, became a broker, wandered in there for a little while without feeling any passion about my job at all for the first couple of years. I take that back. Periodically, I would help somebody buy a home, and it felt great to help them get into their first home. Uh, and I was honored by that, but I didn't have the passion. I didn't wake up every single day loving my job and wanting to work. And that's when I began to realize that uh, I, 
was not leading the authentic life that I had been living as an adventure travel outfitter and begin to reshape, uh, reshape my purpose, reshape the time that I spend doing things in order to uh, add to what I was doing, stuff that really mattered to me. And, and that's how I got into writing my first book, The Gift of Courage. That's such a difficult transition where you're living your life in a way that does feel authentic for so so long. I mean, it's, you can hear the passion in your voice when you're talking about your, your experience in, in adventure travel and, and guiding people. Then suddenly your priorities started shifting. You felt that in order to be more present to your family, you needed to make a change. How can you make that change successfully in embracing one thing that is authentic to you and let go of another piece of that? You know, there's, there's a ton of soul searching in there. There was a ton of soul searching where, ironically, I, I had left the outfitting business and got into commercial real estate because I felt it was important to make a lot of money um, in order to have a, a thriving young family. And uh, the irony in that was that we were in the worst financial shape we'd ever been in, which was courtesy of me making some bad investments and courtesy of the economy uh, leading to my business not being a, thrall, a thriving business. So there, so there was a lot of soul searching. There was a lot of laying awake at night, three in the morning, broke and unsatisfied and feeling uh, feeling like my life was, was an oxymoron in a sense, where I wasn't, I wasn't myself. I literally was not myself. And I knew who I was and knew what I loved, courtesy of having done that earlier in my adult life as a guide and an outfitter. And so I knew that something was missing. And it took two, two years of soul searching. And, and ironically, what triggered it was I still owned a small part of the rafting business. And I had done wanted to do a, a fundraising trip for a friend of mine, a river guide friend of mine, who had become paralyzed from the waist down in her therapy costs, which was exorbitant. I thought, well, I'm going to run a, a couple of fundraisers for her and, and send all the proceeds to her rehabilitation account. And nobody signed up for these fundraising trips. This was, I was down to one company at the time in the outfitting business, working full-time as a, a commercial real estate broker, and then my office manager of 12 years was running the rafting side of things, the rafting business. So nobody signed up for these uh, benefit rafting trips for uh, a friend of mine. Her name is Kelly Kalafatich. And so I started to ask myself, how else could I help her? And, and I began to realize that that mattered lot to me was helping her and helping others and that's when I got attached to or reattached to what really was authentic to me and that was helping people realize their dreams I'd done that as an outfitter with guides and clients and that was my essence was I'd like to help people know who they were know what their purpose was and help them realize their dreams and here was Kelly Kalafatich, who had been a mentor to river guides, young women guides, native, uh, indigent natives in Africa and South America. And she was no longer able to live her dream, which was to continue work as a river guide around the world. And so I decided to write a book about her and use those proceeds in order to help fund her rehabilitation. And so I, I segued from a job that was passionate to me into a career that really didn't feel authentic. And then in that two years of soul searching, recognized, found, crystallized exactly what mattered to me. And that was helping people realize their dreams. So I wrote a book about uh, courageous people, 
It's called The Gift of Courage, and it's about eight people from all different walks of life, from all different parts of the country, who on one level or another have courageously embraced their passions and have, by extension, then lived their dreams, and in doing so, made a huge difference to the community. And so that's where I am today, as an author of a book like that, as an author, author of another book that's going to talk about specifically how to realize what your passions are and how to create uh, a, the life you dream of, a purposeful, meaningful life that you dream of, courtesy of being courageous and taking a stand for your conviction, for your authenticity. And then the extension of that has been speaking engagements that I'm helping host and produce as well. Wow, that's quite a jump. It's an amazing story to go go through that ebb and flow to that, that kind of dark period, it sounds like in your life and, and to have that actually be something that crystallizes what your next step is. I think it takes a lot of courage in, in and of itself to be willing to stand in that in that fear and that unknowing to be able to engage on what what that next step is. Yeah, I, I, you know, I didn't know it at the time. I didn't I didn't think I was being courageous. I thought I was being inauthentic. I thought I, I thought I was a phony. I thought that people looked at me and realized that I wasn't doing what I'd love to do. And of course, I put on a great mask, covered that. And so the only person that really noticed that I wasn't doing what I'd love to do was me. And it took me some time to recognize that I had the power to go back to uh, what mattered to me. And, and it started incrementally. It started by just writing about Kelly Califatich. It started by going for walks in the morning for a half hour, 45 minutes on a quiet road to live on. Thankfully, we live in an area like that. And uh, just just getting real clear on what made me happy. And recognizing that, and a friend of mine, Eric Plantenberg, who's been on your show, helped me recognize this, that, that if I lost it all, it wasn't as bad as it seemed. I fought for so long to work through our financial challenges and to embrace commercial real estate. And uh, it was because I was afraid of losing it all. And through conversations with Eric, I realized that that really wasn't what would happen if I had a more financial, greater financial catastrophe. And so I, I relaxed on the debt recognized that I was going to be able to get through this. And the thing that mattered most was having a simple roof over my family's home, and being able to share their love every day and to do something that I love. To do. And that's what, that's what forced me forced in a positive way to look at where my life was and to recognize what mattered to me and then bit by bit build on that, which started with writing a chapter about killing Galapagos and finding others and, writing their chapters, and, and I, got, I got buoyed, I got lifted by the people that I was writing about, and it eventually it landed me in, in the place that I am today, where I'm totally stoked about the work that I'm doing in the, in the personal development world, and I'm actually totally stoked about, ironically, the, the, the work I do in commercial real estate, because I know it helps support what really matters to me. Mm. So Kelly gave a, a great TED talk that I was privileged to see, and I really found that inspiring. Why specifically did you find Kelly's story so inspiring to you personally, and and why did you orient your next steps around supporting that work? 
1986, November of 1986, I was in Africa and uh, I was in Kelly's boat. It was a busman's holiday for me. And she and I have, were, were friends and casual acquaintances, but not great friends at that point in my life, her life. So I went, in, I went to Africa to visit some friends of mine and to run rivers over there. And I was in her boat uh, and uh, she rode the biggest whitewater in the world. At that point, that was the biggest uh, single day of rafting I'd ever been on. This treacherous class five rapids, the highest possible on the scale of diff difficulty, and hippos and crocodiles in the water beneath the raft. So just all these amazing challenges. And we, she turned the oars, <laughs> she she turned the oars over to me at the end of the trip, where she had run all the big stuff, and we'd stayed upright with this group of six or eight guys from Europe as the guests. And then I promptly went into this tiny wave train at the end of the day and flipped the boat. And she was so graceful and humble about that. And uh, I came off the trip and uh, another good friend of mine took me aside and told me that my father had died back in the States, uh, sudden heart attack he was in his 50s. And nobody saw this coming. And so I spent that night at a tiny hut in Zambia with Kelly and a couple of other friends of mine coming up to me throughout the night, comforting. I pretty much cried my way through that night. And so I never forgot that. And I vowed to do what I could to help her if ever I was given that opportunity. And so that was part of it. The other part was that here was a woman who uh, had just made such a huge impact on the rest of the world through her physical and, and uh, spiritual strengths. And she had that taken from her as a result of her ingesting a waterborne parasite on the first descent of the Blue Nile River. She lived with that parasite in her body for a couple of years. One day felt tingling in her legs and then her legs started going numb and she had trouble urinating and so she checked herself into the hospital and she never walked out and she's in constant pain now from uh, lesions on her spinal cord. So uh, I, I, just, I just realized how much power, how much positive impact, how much life-changing energy somebody has as a result of my friendship with Kelly. And that was from me observing what she did with clients and training guides and what she did with me that night in, in Zambia. And uh, I just was so touched by that, so much wanted to help her. Uh, at the time, I didn't realize when I was getting into writing the book and writing the chapter about her, but I wanted to help her realize meaning in her life again. And I didn't realize at the time I started writing the book that it had gone so far away for her. But as I became very close with her and become very good friends over the last few years, I recognized that I had the same power that she had, which was to give people the chance to live their dreams and to, to realize a meaningful life. And, and the, the irony in all of that was for eight months in early 90s, I laid on my back for 20 or more hours a day with severe disc rupture, severe sciatica, where I could get up and walk for maybe five minutes before I had to lay back down because of the nerve pain that I was feeling. And so this, there's this, just this amazingly beautiful web, this connective web between Kelly and I, where I can at least to some degree appreciate the pain that she's in. And realize as well from when I was just distraught and feeling like my life was over 
that there's somebody out there that can help help you back up and give you some strength and give you some some additional reasons to live. And, and that's why I wrote the book about Kelly in the end was to help her realize that she still had a ton to give to people. And her speech at, at TEDx Ben was a reflection of that. Sounds like a great uh, symbiotic relationship there. So you set out to write this book about Kelly, and the scope expanded to talking about several other interesting stories. What are some examples of the things that you learned in that process? Oh, there, it's, an, it's an amazing, come up with some life rules that came from writing that book. It's, it's everything from just having conviction in what you believe in, what you do, and having that be what propels you day after day to make the world a better place to resilience where if you got knocked down you got to get pack get pick yourself back up you have to you have to try and try again and the, the, this all came out of these different characteristics all came out of finding these different people who are now subjects in the book the gift of courage martha ryan who uh, was one of 13 children in an irish american family in the bay area that didn't have a lot of money dedicated herself to improving the lives of Africans as a nurse, an unlicensed nurse at that point, but a nurse in Africa where she recognized the value of community and, and, and womanhood as a, uh, as a positive force in community, motherhood. And she came back and started the homeless prenatal program in San Francisco. And now 3,000 families have come off the street and have productive, safe lives where um, if she hadn't stepped in, they would could very possibly still be homeless families on the street. And then there's Josh Kern in Washington, D.C., who was a corporate lawyer, and he had to teach a class called street law in conjunction with his, his education. And he taught a, a, at a high school that had absolutely, to him, very little hope among the, the student population because it was in the most violent neighborhood in the country. And people were more concerned with survival as opposed to thriving. And he knew he could do better. And so he quit his job as a corporate lawyer, started a charter school in the worst neighborhood in Washington, D.C., which makes it one of the worst neighborhoods in the country. And now every single senior, and it's been this way for years, every single senior graduates and goes on to high school or goes on to college and then returns to their community and helps make their community better. So there are all kinds of stories about these different people who, who um, use, use their own unique strengths, their own personal strengths, to make the world better. And in many cases, as with Kelly Kalafatich, in the face of this searing, debilitating pain and limitation. So you created this remarkable book, The Gift of Courage. And what's going on now? What um, projects are you involved in in your world? One is writing a book called The Courage Compass. I realized as a result of feedback that I got from folks who had written the book or who had read uh, The Gift of Courage that they were very inspired by these people who are leaving, who are leading meaningful lives where their passion and their heart was what guided them as opposed to their pocketbook or uh, the constraints that we all feel from society to perform in a certain way. And so these people said, God, I wish I could be like that person. I wish I could be like that person. I, I so admire that they're following their heart, that they're living their dreams. And, and I thought, you know, I've been, I went through the process of 
not living my dreams and then living my dreams. And I've, I've become somewhat of an expert on, on uh, people who are purposeful, powerful, community-oriented folks. So I thought, well, maybe I'll write a book about um, how to live a passionate and purposeful life. And that's uh, one that I'm working on now, the Courage Compass. And uh, I expect to have that done sometime in 2014. And that's going to use some more examples of people in the real world who are leading purposeful, passionate lives, and then also have a template for others to follow in order to, to wake up every morning feeling like their life is meaningful and embracing what they're going to go out and do. Now, the other thing that I'm doing that is a spinoff of the Gift of Courage is we've created a speaking event program, and there's one scheduled in Bend. Uh, there'll be one in the Bay Area. February and one in Sacramento in April. It's called An Evening of Empowerment. And the people that were in uh, the Gift of Courage, are in the Gift of Courage, are speaking at these events and literally in, in live form raising the energy and the level of inspiration in the room as a result of them simply telling their story and encouraging others to be powerful, meaningful community members. Um, and Kelly's going to be speaking at the one in Bend on November 5th, as is Eric Plattenberg, who I talked about earlier. He's a motivational expert, personal development guru. He was also a subject in the book. And then Jeff Leland, who is the founder of Sparrow Clubs, which is an amazing organization dedicated to helping sick youth and their families, he'll be speaking as well. And the goal simply is to have people come together, be inspired, and all of the proceeds from the ticket sales are going to go to local nonprofits that are kid and family oriented in order to make our, our community better. Sounds like a couple of amazing uh, projects, very consistent with the, the goal of A Congruent Life. Well, I, it's an honor to hear you say that. I hadn't realized it as threaded together as it is, but yeah, every single one of those projects is so meaningful to me the book, The Gift of Courage, the book. Courage Compass uh, and an evening of empowerment. They literally make my heart feel alive when I'm engaged with them and when I think about what I'm doing. How can our listeners engage with you, Ken? Uh, websites. I'd love for folks to visit the website, uh, eveningofempowerment.org, uh, or, the, uh, or the, the website giftofcourage.com. Uh, they can reach me. Uh, via the phone numbers that are on those websites. I would love for folks to come to an evening of empowerment in Bend. It's at the Tower Theater. I uh, would love for those folks who are listening from outside of Central Oregon to consider coming to one in San Francisco or Sacramento. We're also going to do one in Seattle sometime in 2014. Love to meet people in person. I love to hear stories of, of people who are living their dreams, who are leading congruent lives, uh, or those that are headed that direction and allow me to humbly maybe help them along that path. That's great. We'll be sure to link to all of those things in the show notes for this episode. Ken, do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to leave our listeners with about authenticity? Uh, well, the one that pops up first and foremost is right on to you and what you're doing and in, in, uh, in helping people share their stories of living authentic, congruent lives is changing the world. And so it's an honor for me to be in your company and to be a part of your program. 
And it's a perfect example, Andy. It's a perfect example of what every single one of us can do to elevate the state of the world by simply peeling back the layers, uncovering what matters most to you, and then doing that. And it doesn't have to be a life-changing uh, event or a life-changing process. Just bit by bit, peel back the layers, and bit by bit, do what you love. Well, Ken Streeter, thanks very much for sharing this time on the show today. And thanks for all the great work that you're doing in the world and the, the gift of your book. Thank you, Andy. And uh, I look forward to continuing to follow your program and to be inspired by the people that you're bringing to us. Thanks. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation with Ken Streeter. Since this is episode 28, you can find the webpage for this episode at acongruentlife.net slash 28 or at acongruentlife.net slash Streeter, which is spelled S-T-R-E-A-T-E-R. Please check out Ken's book, which is called A Gift of Courage. And if you're near Central Oregon, I hope that you'll attend the Evening of Empowerment that's coming up on November 5th. That event is very well aligned with the purpose of A Congruent Life, and I'm honored that our show is one of the sponsors of the event. If you do attend that evening, please find me and say hello. Speaking of sponsors, A Congruent Life is itself supported by Black Crater Software Solutions. If you're in need of technology solutions for your small business or nonprofit organization, including custom software development, web, or mobile, please check out blackcrater.com. Once again, thanks for being here and listening to A Congruent Life. I really appreciate your support of this project, and I'm grateful that so many of you are finding this valuable. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to A Congruent Life. For more, please visit us on the web at acongruentlife.net. Do you have feedback about the show or suggestions for future guests? Please contact us through the website or send an email to feedback at acongruentlife.net. See you next time.